Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. We are back to talk about footy. We cannot wait to dissect this one game that we had and also talk about the fact that we only had one game this weekend. We'll talk a little bit about the Frio and North Clash, about the upcoming finals, the little bits and bobs that have changed going to be great fun we're very excited we're back to a complement of three so today you have me marissa lordanic marnie vinyl and anna harrington back from beijing and ready to drop some takes so before we get into the pod proper we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today the Wurundjeri people and pay our respects to their elders past and present so girlies footy so good to be talking about footy Oh, hang on. Are we talking about footy? I thought we had assembled to discuss the Ash Barty news. Like... I thought this was the Barty to party. <laughs> I thought we were talking about uh, Richmond's AFLW signing for next season. I mean... May or may not be Ash Barty, depending on, <laughs> on which theory you listen to. The, well, that's the thing. This could also be the Welcome Ash to the Golf Circuit podcast or the back to cricket, the the you know, the big bash, the big bash, Barty bash, Barty. Has she she considered Uh, soccer? I mean, it ties into our interests, Marissa. I mean, can you imagine her? She could be like a tiny little messy, like short, low center of gravity, really pulling the strings in the midfield. I could, I can see it, I can feel it. What other sport Mm -hmm. could she possibly play? Just go whatever she wants, like table tennis. I mean, croquet? we already know. Who knows? I was going to say, table tennis, we already know she's got the vibe. Oh, yeah, that's she's what that the... rogue. <laughs> Sorry, I'm tired. She can do anyway. what she wants, I reckon. We love but Ash. We, I think, good. Marnie, you said it best. It's like sad for us, but really happy for Ash and what she's accomplished mm-hmm. and everything she's done. And hopefully we get yeah. to see more of her enjoying Richmond because I, I think I can speak for everyone here. Watching her watch the footy and just being a big Richmond enough, very enjoyable content. So hope she gets on the beers and enjoys some Richmond wins in the near future. But let's talk about the AFLW. We had... One final, it was Frio defeating North Melbourne by 38 points. It was a good game. Like for a half, we had a proper arm wrestle Mm -hmm. here. And then Frio really, I think Marnie and I have spoken about it before, just the cliche of the third quarter being the premiership quarter, but Frio really acted on that and made it count. So let's talk a little bit about this game, who impressed us, what we liked. So Marnie, I'm happy for you to... Tell us a little bit about who impressed you this weekend. I am going to start with the Ellie Gavalis snap from to open the game from the boundary. I think a snap on the boundary is just how could you get a better goal to start a finals up and about. North were looking really good in that first quarter and we'll dig a bit more into the actual game stuff in a second. But I think that and the Hayley Miller mark will be my who impressed. In my who didn't impress, I'm just going to say this the the viewing experience from Arden Street Oval because it is not the best as a spectator no matter where you see and it's it's beautiful it's a gorgeous ground in terms of like there's gum trees everywhere it just smells of eucalyptus I love that community vibe that AFLW games have but there's no way you can situate yourself where you can actually see the entire game which is a bit of a letdown when it is a finals uh yeah I have to 
reference my own preseason predictions because I thought Fremantle were going to be a team that that potentially dropped right off because we knew with COVID there was the hitting the road. Um, we knew that they'd lost a, a couple of forwards and the question was over, could they find that spread of goal kickers? And I mean, they've well and truly answered that. They had like nine goal kickers on the weekend and like they've just spread and shared the load so well. It's not just, it's not just Antonio or it's not just, we're not just seeing Bowers in the midfield um, be, you know, play a sole hand or anything like that, which I think might've been a couple of the fears coming into this season. Um, I think you mentioned Hayley Miller, who the captaincy seems to have worked wonders for. We know she was a good player and she's been highly rated for a long time. She was playing in those exhibition matches for Melbourne back in the day, but it's never really, I felt take, We've never really seen that potential go translate into genuine form at AFLW level, but having what we would say in soccer, the captain's armband, that responsibility seems to have helped her take a game to another level. She does all the little things as well as having that sort of trademark dash. And we know she's got that goal kicking ability as well. So to see her go to another level um, this season has been particularly exciting. And yeah, it's, I mean, the other, the other flip side of it is in terms of the negative, once again, it's North Melbourne, once I guess the going gets hot at the pointy end of the season. Bar the season that sort of got <laughs> got canned early, they've not been able to deliver on the big stage against fellow top six opponents. And once again, they're going to go away from a season feeling probably that they've left a little bit empty-handed. Not that many people would have said they were premiership favourites, but I think they would have, especially the way that they've sort of finished off the regular season, back themselves to come into finals in a bit of form. And as you said, Manny, it was, a, it was a close game earlier. It was an arm wrestle before Freo kicked away. So I think they'll be probably going away from this with a bit of a hollow feeling. So, and it's, uh, well, it might not be such a long off season as in previous years, but it's certainly one where your players are going to be that bit older. Um, your, your key players have more games in the legs. It's, um, it doesn't necessarily get any easier. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that when it comes to North's form against top teams, they just kind of, stop backing themselves as much and lose a little bit of faith in their own ability and game plan. I think as soon as Frio got that momentum and they kicked, what was it? Seven goals in the second and third quarter. And as soon as they had like a 10 point lead, North were doing like shorter hand passes to each other, hand balls to each other. And they just lost some of that structure. So I think if they can learn to back themselves in, even when the going gets tough and it does come down to, you know, crunch time against the top tier teams, They'll be looking good. I think they will too. And I think, you know, it will be really interesting to see how much they can kind of change or workshop if, you know, they do have such a limited pre-season, assuming that, you know, the next season starts August this year, whether that kind of small amount of time will be a, a help or a hindrance. But let's dissect this game a little bit more. I'm happy for either of you to either talk a little bit more in depth about what kind of went wrong for North because particularly in that third quarter, they just, they didn't offer anything. And then I thought it was really interesting fourth quarter, all of a sudden Emma Carney gets moved on ball. So pushes up from the halfback and is back as a a midfield option. Was that, was that like the epitome of panic stations or was that a little bit too late? Was that the right call? I'm interested on thoughts on that. And then we can talk a little bit about Frio and what went right for them as well. But what kind of happened with North? Well, I think that you've got it there with a bit of a structural problem. So having Emma King moved into that ruck position and then you've got Talia Randall left 
as, you know, up, up forward. And then you've got Jazzy Garner, who I would say is pretty crucial in scoring, in scoring goals. And, but she's, but she's also crucial in needing to win the ball in the first place. So they're kind of missing a piece of the puzzle when it comes to that. Yeah. It's, it's that, um, I think it's been well noted, obviously. Um, and Sarah Black talked about this on the AFL website as well. Um, Kim Rennie was concussed as well. And we know the support she's provided. So all of a sudden, if you want out in the ruck, um, you, you don't get as many rests forward, which as you say, money has that flow on effect. You need um, Jazzy Garner to spend more time forward. Rob's is a quality ball winner. And Emma Carney, as good as we know she is, um, North have been using her behind the ball a lot this season. So all of a sudden that's that change of tempo. It's that change of role. So all of a sudden you're having to fill all these, all these little gaps. And we know how good Frio are at the clearances at the coalface. Mm. And that's where they won the game. When you've got players like we know Bowers, but obviously O'Sullivan as well, who gets in and wins the ball and can dish it out. Like it, it's hard to go with. And Ash Riddell, we know does a power of work, but you, you can't do it all on your own. It's um. It just was a, a lack of, of class in that sense. And it's also converting those opportunities because clearance mm. numbers are one thing, but Freo, with the way they use the ball, they're far more efficient. They they made their opportunities count. And that's I think that's something that is quite exciting heading into this preliminary final against Adelaide because, as we remember, um, I think the line um, from Trent Cooper after their loss to Adelaide was if they played like that, they didn't deserve to play finals. So it's going to be really interesting to see how much Fremantle have matured from that performance or how much that's spurred them on. Because they're a team that we talked about North, um, maybe not performing against big teams when it's come to finals. Freo have had their colours lowered a couple of times against Adelaide and Melbourne, right, this season. Mm. So it's going to be interesting to see if when push comes to shove, um, you know, in a, in a week's time, what what that's going to look like. Like yeah, can think- Fremantle turn it around, right? Yeah, I think efficiency, as you say, is going to be just such a big one because North had more inside 50s than Freo, but Freo just did more with the ball. And coming up against Adelaide, that's going to be super crucial, especially because Adelaide, their kicking accuracy has been such a point of problem for them. So if Freo, even if Freo get less control of the ball against this, you know, incredibly strong team, when Freo have the ball, if they do more with it, they could win the game off that. Well, one other thing that I really like about Freo at the moment is that they seem to have that individual star power that is really shining through. I mean, you talked a lot about it when it comes to Hayley Miller step, like stepping up in that captaincy role and also just really delivering when it comes to good, good, strong, quality, classy footy. But they also maintain such a team effort. They really seem to know how each other plays. They play well together and they've got that team cohesion that just they just seem to be gelling really well it's doing it at the right time as well isn't it like again Mm -hmm. I mentioned Cooper before I think post-match he was talking about they had the tough run but they've been building they've been putting the work in and this is the time of year where you want it to come to fruition um you don't want to necessarily just be dominating and have a really hot streak in season then it all come undone once um once it gets to, to finals and we were talking about this pre-pod I'm going to be really interested to see how the enforced additional break is going to mm-hmm. affect both Melbourne and Adelaide as the top two because um, obviously with Collingwood's game against Brisbane getting getting postponed because of their COVID outbreak which is the reason why we only had one game if those who weren't following along um, it means that it with that game getting pushed back all of a sudden it's an 
extra bit of rest that Melbourne and Adelaide had. And that's not necessarily always a good thing. It's good in terms of you can make sure you get players back, players are well rested. But I imagine the concern would be about around the match hardness. So I wouldn't be surprised if you're getting so if if there would have been some pretty physical um, hit outs in terms of intra club sort of stuff going on at both those clubs to to keep everyone on edge, everyone on their toes, make sure there's still that pressure for selection because you don't want to get get I guess knocked out straight away because you've not been on your toes and you've got these teams like a Fremantle who come in red hot and are feeling good about themselves after after a really good goal-kicking spree um, against a quality opponent, and they knock you over because they're a bit sharper. So it's a really difficult challenge, and it's it's something that not all these athletes would have had to deal with. We saw it, of course, um, in the AFL men's last season with because of quarantine, we saw the additional buys and those sorts of things. It's something difficult for and different mm. for teams to have to deal with. So it's going to be interesting to see if... Um, Melbourne and Adelaide both are able to handle that. And I imagine for Melbourne <laughs> in particular, it'll be a bit more tense because you're still waiting to see who you're actually going to play. So it's not like it's two weeks of being like, well, we can hone in on Brisbane. We can home in on Brisbane or we can home in on Collingwood. It's just kicking around, waiting for it to start. So it's going to be a real test of these teams' maturity and how their leaders, I think, keep everyone sort of in line and how their coaching staff handle it what's a very different build-up because we know that teams love to try and keep things the same heading into finals as for regular season, but you can't when it's this sort of long layoff. So it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think one week off is a help, two week off is a hindrance. And it's, I think it's going to impact Adelaide and Melbourne differently. I think it will, as you say, you're going to want those big hit outs into club, but Melbourne were coming off their last game. They beat Carlton by one point. And it wasn't a bit like it wasn't a big win for them. They didn't come off cheering. They didn't come off super excited to head into finals where Freo did. And Freo are just off the back of this really big qualifying win against North. They've got that driving momentum. They're not versing each other, so I don't know why I'm talking about it like they are. But but you know, like it's going to affect these teams very very differently. Uh, and when it comes to game style, I think that's a good way. I mean, we'll talk about this when it comes to Collingwood in a bit your thoughts on this Marissa I just keep thinking about so obviously barring maybe Frio and West Coast have obviously had the toughest season because they had to do that relocation bit the only difference is that Frio has had the kind of good footy to mask over maybe some of the adversity so I wonder how much resilience they've built up built up rather from that time and how much they're kind of calling on that now so they'll look at a week off that they maybe didn't plan or they obviously didn't plan for but it's nothing to them because they've had to basically go through a whole season of unexpected twists and turns and things of that nature so I'm really interested to see if the season that they've had obviously would probably not pick it or would not like to repeat it but how much it's actually going to help them in this scenario where maybe a Melbourne or an Adelaide hasn't had to deal with as much adversity or having to deal with kind of complicated schedules or refixtures, things like that, just not to the extent that Frio has. So I think it'll be really interesting to see if Frio's kind of weird and wild season will actually help them in the end, in this pointy end of the season. I think it's going to be fascinating if they can turn that negative or what, 
was very much a negative for most of the season into a positive and into something that they can use in their kind of push towards the grand final. Well, I have heard Trent Cooper talking pretty positively about that in terms of building that team connection. And because you had a lot of the younger and newer players really up close with some of the older players. So I can't remember the examples that he gave, but it was, you know, having some of the newer players watch how Hayley Miller preps for games and even just going into games and same with your Bowers, like, and, and having that time on that road and those challenging times actually being quite beneficial to spurring that club on and creating that team culture that's incredibly important to carry you through. It is important. It's not something you always see in, in women's sport because even pre-COVID, you'd see a lot of fly in the day before, fly out after the game or the day after. So not many players, especially young ones, would have had a heap of experience with doing these, you know, stints on the road. And as, as you say, Marnie, learning exactly how the pros prepare. Unless sometimes you see young players live with older players and they get a bit of a, a glimpse into that. And we see that in men's and women's sport. They give them a bit of an opportunity to, to learn how the pros go about it. But when you're on the road, these sorts of situations, it, it brings groups closer together. And it's, I guess it's worth remembering that women's teams don't spend as long together as the men's equivalent because their seasons are shorter. Usually their pre-seasons are shorter. Like they've got other commitments as well as we've discussed countless times. So sometimes it can be a positive experience in terms of, of bringing a team closer together. So, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it plays a role. It will be interesting to see. It will also be interesting to see this other final that we have coming up. Cause obviously we thought we were going to have two this weekend. We did not. So it was due to COVID cases in Collingwood, as Anna mentioned a little bit earlier, have had to postpone the game, have had to reshuffle the entire final series. So everything has been pushed back a week, but let's talk a little bit about, it's almost like a secondary preview into this pies lions clash. There are, Maybe concerns isn't the right word, but there are some question marks about what exactly this Collingwood team is going to look like. So um, the Collingwood coaches spoken basically about they're not sure how many players they actually have available, how many they're going to have to use from the top-up list and what the team they're actually going to put out will look like. So interested, Marnie, in your thoughts on how Collingwood kind of approach this and what you're expecting from them in what is a, a very difficult situation. It's going to be a very, it's going to be very interesting how this develops and what Collingwood team we actually see run out against Brisbane. I can imagine for Brisbane as well, because they don't know what Collingwood side they're going to face. So they're doing all these preparations, but not really sure who to match up with who, because who's going to play on the day. You know, Ruby Slicer, the uh, Pies, just absolute solid defender that she is. She said on the um, Credit to the Girls podcast, this week that forfeiting was never an option. And there's been a lot of conversation about will Collingwood forfeit. She made it very clear that that was absolutely never an option because even if some of their players couldn't make it due to health and safety protocols, they were just going to use top up VFLW players. And of course she can't have this obvious, uh, have any doubt coming through her voice. I think she'd be very cautious of that, but she sounded pretty confident that they're still feeling pretty sure of themselves when it comes to whatever team that they will deliver will be a good team that can match up against Brisbane. 
And when it comes to Collingwood, the VFLW and the AFLW are very closely aligned, which I think will really benefit them in this particular situation. So if they do need to bring in top-up players, these are top-up players that they're already quite close with, they already train with on some accounts. I can, and this might be controversial, I don't know if, and, and I might be completely wrong come uh, Sunday night, but I think that it could potentially be a positive for Collingwood to have a few newbies. And yes, debuting on a finals is a lot of pressure, but what a better way to debut. And when it comes to Collingwood, I think that, you know, the way that they win games is they get it on their terms and they've got a very good brand of footy when they're able to do that. Brisbane is such a high pressured side. They're so classy. They're so clean I just I think that having different players run out could benefit them and we've seen Collingwood they've been without so many crucial players this season Britt Benici, Brie David, ACLs, we have Olivia Mega with concussion, Ash Brazil's out for netball, Sophie Casey with suspension they've had the whole season of scrambling they've been trying out different midfields and Steph Kiochi uh, plays on the wing but she's been moved into an inside mid role we've seen players go here there everywhere when it comes to Collingwood maybe getting some top-up VFL players in there maybe playing some chaotic football that takes Brisbane by surprise is be the one thing that gets them over the line because they're definitely coming into this game as underdogs and Brisbane are used to being underdogs so it's going to be it's very interesting watching that narrative flip Collingwood are coming in as the definite underdogs and if they can get some chaotic footy going showcase some I don't know a different style maybe maybe that's what wins them the game love the optimism yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I imagine one thing that Collingwood will have will just be watching that Sarah Rowe bounce on repeat oh, um yeah I reckon it just it just haunts them but it's fair points. Like they have a strong VFLW lineup. They've got some good players. They know the system. I imagine there'd be quite a shared system. It's as I mentioned, strong VFLW program. Albeit, you know, COVID hit the last couple of years. Um, these play a lot of these players should be able to stand up and play a role in a system in Collingwood system. And you know, not far from disgrace themselves. I imagine acquit themselves quite well. Is that enough to beat Brisbane? I don't think so. I think they are such a well-drilled, and this is no slight on Collingwood. Brisbane just such a well-drilled unit. Craig Stasevich um, is a fantastic coach. Um, you mentioned the class before, Marnie, and they've just got players that have just done it time and time again in big games. And, yeah, they might get thrown that some of the names aren't the, aren't the same, but even if you're thrown, it's still better than facing Brie Davey and, and Britt Bonici. Uh, and you know they're known quantities and you know that they're always going to give you a difficult time of it. I think Brisbane will be well aware that this is a potential sort of banana skin game that if they're not at their best, they could get, you know, slip up and Collingwood could pounce. And I imagine Collingwood will have a very, very, not that the AFLW teams aren't normally, very, very system-based game and a strong game plan. And the underdog factor can come into it, but you can't, try and lean on the underdog factor when you were literally the premiers last season. So if, if you're Brisbane, you've just got to, I think, take the most, take it as professionally as you can. Just look at what's in front of you and back yourself into beat them on every line because they're a quality team. And I imagine that's the approach they would be taking. They, they know they can beat or go toe to toe with the best teams in this league. They've got the the premiership and grand final appearances and consistent success to prove it. So 
Um, it'll be, I'm sure it'll be a really gutsy performance from Collingwood and, and it would be a very romantic story if they were able to pull off a victory like this. But yeah, if it's, if it's not often you'd say Collingwood is the, the David in a David and Goliath story, <laughs> but no. um, it's hard to see David pulling out the win in this one, I reckon. And to just completely disagree with myself as well, I, I think that Brisbane, they have so many goal kickers. I think that is also going to be crucial. They've got so many tools, um, you know, in Davison and in Wardlaw, and they've got smalls who are just so speedy and so exciting, like Courtney Hodder. And then you've got Sophie Conway and Ola Odwyer on the wing who are both in excellent goal kicks and have showed that throughout the season. So I don't know. Who have we tipped, Tim? Pretty sure I tipped Brisbane, Brisbane last week yeah. and I'm, I'm not changing that tip, but that's the game we have coming up this weekend. It's Brisbane and Collingwood at the Gabba on Sunday afternoon. So we'll be watching that one with plenty of interest. Then we progress through to the prelims the following weekend. So Saturday, April 2nd, Melbourne will play the winner of this Pies Lions clash and Adelaide will take on Freo. So those two teams will basically have this whole week to prepare for that game and kind of what you were talking about, Anna, just honing in on that opponent and really analysing, you know, the game that they've played and what kind of happens there. Then grand final, Saturday, April 9th, we will obviously find out who is playing in that clash next week. But it's going to be a really interesting finals contest. And there's still the possibility that it could be an MCG decider if... If Melbourne earn the right to host, it can be an MCG decider. It's the spicy one. Where would you rather be, the G or Fortress Casey? (laughs) (laughs) I know as a spectator where you'd probably rather be, um, but I wonder what the Ds would rather if they if Adelaide lose, obviously, and that and they win and they get the possibility of hosting. I'm just thinking about how much we talked about how much Melbourne loved playing on Optus Stadium. So mm. in my head, Melbourne are like, sorry, Casey, see you later. We're going to the G. We love, want the- <laughs> love you, got to leave you. Yeah. Yeah. Love you, leave you, see you later. We're going to the G. Um, but no, like I said, it's going to be an absolutely cracking couple of weeks of finals. We can't wait to take you through it all. So let's talk a little bit about, we've had to kind of do it every week for the last few weeks. Handy points have been a little bit about expansion, the new sides coming in. And Marnie, this is your time to shine. You got to have a bit of a chat to one of the new signings. We talked about it a little bit, but you actually got to chat to Essendon's inaugural AFLW signing. I did. I did. I talked to Georgia Nansgorn for um, a feature that I did on ESPN on her and This chat and writing this interview up has just been such a shining light in what's been a, I would say, pretty heavy week um, as a fan of the game of AFL. But Georgia, oh, so she's the first, um, she's the inaugural AFLW signing for Essendon. And, you know, this has been 150 years in the making for the club, but also Nanscorn herself has had such a journey to becoming this player. I would say she's one of, if not the most successful um hockey player that we've got in Australia she was the youngest Australian to register 100 and then 150 caps for her country she's gone to the Olympics she debuted at 17 so she was signed to the national hockey team at 16 but she debuted at 17 she's now 29 and she spent most of her sporting career you know with a hockey stick in hand and not a Sharon but when she so she fell out of love with hockey in 2017 I'm going to take a break 
And she thought, well, I'll kick a football around and then North Melbourne. Sorry, I'm just for, just giving you a rundown for context. And then North Melbourne gave her a ring. Do you want to come to Arden Street? And she was like, sure, I'll give that a crack. So she went off to Melbourne, um, played a season there and then was delisted, which she said wasn't that surprising. You know, you do have that feeling of a bit of disappointment, but it wasn't really that surprising. She's super fresh to the sport. She was in such a strong team and she didn't get to see many game times. And this is where I just really fall in love with her as a player because she really prioritizes her own happiness within her football. We talk all the time about how happy footballers make better footballers and she's such a shining example of it. So she went to Essendon VFLW because she just wanted to play footy for the love of footy. And so in 2019 was her breakout year. She got um, she was in the 2019 VFLW team of the year and she got the club's best and fairest award and she had AFLW clubs showing interest in her but she just wanted to stay at Essendon because she wanted she knew she was happy there she they were helping to craft her footy at North she was a small forward at Essendon she was playing um, an inside mid role and really excelling in that position and then she's just gone from strength to strength in 2021 she captained the Bombers she won the league's highest individual honor the Lambert Pierce medal she was the captain of the team of the year squad she's now co-captain co-captain this year for the VFLW she's gone from strength to strength and when other clubs have come calling she's kind of just said well no I'm, I'm really happy at Essendon I want to stay here because it's where my good footy will develop and I just think that is such a good good story because I think we often put pressure on players that the absolute pinnacle that they should be striving towards is to be the best of the best no matter what sacrifices that can cost and she's really prioritized well I want to do I want to be playing footy because I love footy and I'm stoked that Essendon are going to be building a team around her and around that attitude and hopefully just have a culture that does prioritize the health and happiness of all their players. Sorry for that ramble. I, I'm looking at the time being like, don't talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's a good ramble and we would obviously very much recommend reading Marnie's chat with Georgia over on ESPN.com.au. Got to get your cheeky plugs in, but <laughs> I think it's so exciting. We've spoken about it a bit before that these four new teams mean just all these stories are either going to be unearthed because we haven't really heard about these players before or someone like Georgia who has technically been in the system before but has maybe taken a a slightly different route than the usual there's just so many stories I saw Sydney have announced a whole bunch of signings again Mm. from their academy which is just such a great story we can see Hawthorne have started to make some moves as well Marnie you were saying before a little bit of concern that it's very quiet over in Port Adelaide what what are you all doing Cricket, someone get on the phone with Kochi. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> or don't. We don't know, but we can't wait to find out what else happens with these new teams. We can't wait for finals. It's going to be so good. We can't wait to talk to you all next week about all that is happening in AFLW. But for now, thanks for tuning in. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.